Grace and peace to you, and welcome to a sermon podcast from Richfield United Methodist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Sign up for weekly digital content at richfieldumc.org. Subscribe, share, and get out there with Jesus to heal a broken world. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have a good experience. This podcast is the sermon on January 26, 2020. The role of the church is part four of the eight-part worship series, A Fresh Start. The preacher is Reverend Nate Melcher, and the scripture is Acts chapter 15, verses 12 through 21, and Luke chapter 14, verse 1, 7 through 14. One time Jesus went for a Sabbath meal with one of the top leaders of the Pharisees. All the guests had their eyes on him, watching his every move. He told a story to the guests at the table. Noticing how each had tried to elbow into the place of honor, he said, when someone invites you to dinner, don't take the place of honor. Somebody more important than you may have been invited by the host. Then they'll come out and call out in front of everybody, oh, you're in the wrong place. The place of honor belongs to this one. Red-faced, you'll have to make your way to the very last table, the only place left. When you're invited to dinner, go and sit at the last place. Then when the host comes, he may very well say, friend, come up to the front. That will give the dinner guest something to talk about. What I'm saying is, if you walk around with your nose in the air, you're going to end up flat on your face. But if you're content to simply be yourself, you will become more than yourself. Then he turned to the host and said, the next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors, the kind of people who will return the favor. Invite some people who never get invited out, the misfits from the wrong side of the tracks. You'll be and experience a blessing. They won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned, oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. Hear this from Acts 15. It wasn't long before some Jews showed up from Judea, insisting that everyone be circumcised. If you're not circumcised in the Mosaic fashion, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas were up on their feet at once in fierce protest. The church decided to resolve the matter by sending Paul, Barnabas, and a few others to put it before the apostles and leaders in Jerusalem. After they were sent off and on their way, they told everyone they met about the breakthrough to the non-Jewish outsiders. Everyone who heard the news cheered. It was terrific news. When they got to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas were graciously received by the whole church, including the apostles and leaders. They reported on their recent journey and how God had used them to open things up to the outsiders. Some Pharisees stood up to say their peace. They had become believers but continued to hold the party line of the Pharisees. You must have to circumcise the pagans to convert, they said. You must make them keep the law of Moses. The apostles and leaders called a special meeting to consider the matter. The arguments went on and on, back and forth, getting more and more heated. Then Peter took the floor. Friends, you well know that from early on, God made it quite plain that God wanted the pagans to hear the message of this good news and embrace it. And not in any secondhand or roundabout way, but firsthand straight from my mouth. And God, who can't be fooled by any pretense on our part, but always knows a person's thoughts, gave them the Holy Spirit exactly as was given to us. God treated the outsiders exactly as we are treated, beginning at the very center of who they were and working from that center outward, cleaning up their lives as they trusted and believed. 
So why are you now trying to out-God God? Loading these new believers down with rules that crushed our ancestors and crushed us too. Don't we believe that we're saved because the Master Jesus amazingly and out of sheer generosity moved to save us just as he did those from beyond our nation? So what are we arguing about? There was dead silence. No one said a word. With the room quiet, Barnabas and Paul reported matter-of-factly on the miracles and wonders God had done among the nations through their ministry. The silence deepened. You could hear a pin drop. James broke the silence. Friends, listen. Simon Peter has told us the story of how God, at the very outset, made sure racial outsiders were included. This is in perfect agreement with the scriptures and the words of the prophets. God said it, and now God's doing it. It's no afterthought. God's always known God would do this. So here's my decision. We're not going to unnecessarily burden non-Jews to turn to the master. We'll write them a letter, and it will say this. Hello. We heard that some people from our church went to you and said things that confused and upset you. Mind you, they had no authority from us. We didn't send them. We have agreed unanimously to pick representatives and send them to you to be our good friends, uh, Barnabas and Paul. It seemed to the Holy Spirit and to us that you should not be saddled with any crushing burden, but be responsible for only the bare necessities. These guidelines are sufficient to keep relations congenial between us. And God be with you. I like that phrase, and God be with you. I love it. In fact, let's try it. And God be with you. That's going to be a refrain throughout the sermon. So uh, when I say it, I'd love to hear it repeated right back. Uh, we can do this. Don't be stoic. Don't give, unleash past your inner German. We got this. All right. One of the reasons why I love that line is that it, it comes out of a debate. Out of a debate, that's where the whole thing ends with that line. Has anybody ever been in a debate gone bad? You know, a debate that turns into an argument, that turns into a fight. Has anybody ever had that? I know you've never had that, honey. We've never. No. It's tough when that happens, right? I mean, who's right? Who's wrong? Who owes who an apology? Who apologizes first? Who's genuine with their apology? This passage reeks of the early church's dirty laundry. It's a messy moment. It's a crux where they could go one way or they could go another way. But only one way moves forward, and that's God's way. To see God's way, to go God's way, they've got to choose God's way. Jewish Christians gathered there. They're brought up in the Jewish faith and all that comes along with it, including circumcision. Now, these Gentile, non-Jewish believers, they're believing in Jesus, and they want in, but they want to do it in a slightly different way, or at least a way that does not involve circumcision. Let's face it, as far as membership expectations go, circumcision is a pretty high bar. It's, now, that's not a typical topic for us on any given day, but it's a serious topic for this early church of coming together for something new. Will we be a church that makes the new people do it exactly the way we do it? Or will we be a church that welcomes the new people for exactly who they are? And if so, 
Is it okay for us to keep doing some of the things our way and meet in the middle and compromise to move forward? Who is in the corner of compromise to move forward? Simon Peter. This is his last appearance in Acts. It's his last appearance in the Bible, this little, brief, but pivotal cameo role. He stands up and takes the floor to remind them where we've been. He says, you know that God has wanted to hear this from the beginning. God's wanted others to hear this from the beginning. It's not just for us. We can't just keep it to ourselves and be selfish. What got us to where we are may not get us to where we're going next. Peter was there when the resurrected Jesus told them all, the Holy Spirit is with you. Go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. He was there looking up at the ascension, then looking left and right to those who were with him and those who were missing and said, it's time to go do the work of witness. He was at Pentecost when they asked, what does this mean and what should we do? And he said, the Holy Spirit is here and we shall work with the Holy Spirit. And what was that beautiful line from the anthem today? When the flame would consume you, I am there. The flames of Pentecost do not consume, but heat up the heart. He was with Cornelius the Roman when the Spirit appeared after his vision of that sheet of animals all mixed together as God's people are mixed together. And these many conflux moments, in each one he hears Jesus, and God be with you. And God. We have to let people in, Peter says, and dead silence. Paul and Barnabas tell their tales among the Gentiles agreeing with Peter, and then the message says it got pin drop silent. Have you ever been in a debate when a truth bomb goes off and it goes pin drop silent? Bold people step forward with wisdom, hope, and the Holy Spirit. By the witness of Simon Peter, Paul, and Barnabas, the church says, time's up, let's do this. God said God was going to do it. Are we going to stand in the way of God? Here we go, and God be with you. They write back to the people. They apologize for the confusion. We're in it with you. We're sending our best people. Here's our ideas to help us meet in the middle. And by the way, and God be with you. And God. It's a powerful conflict moment in the life of the church. Here's our vocab word. We've looked at it the last three weeks. A conflux moment is when your life's journey meets God's heart. Yes, yes. A conflux moment is when your life's journey meets God's heart. Excellent vocab retention, friends. God does not speak here in the scene in a big booming voice, right? Instead, God speaks through the people. God speaks through Peter and Paul and Barnabas and others, as they speak of their convictions, as they speak through their life experiences, as they speak of their conflux moments, and how they uh, perceive Scripture in their Bible study. If you've ever been one of those people who's upset that God's booming voice does not speak to you like, like uh, Saul on the road to Damascus, perhaps this is how God is speaking to you instead by those who are around you. These apostles had to deal with a changing world, 
a new faith movement, a new way of being the church, a new way of relating with those outside of the church, a new changing world. We've got that going on right here, right now in 2020, friends, don't we? It is a changing world. This church used to be over, what, a thousand members? That's at least the number I've heard, higher numbers too. Now, we're around 300. The United Methodist Church appears to be splintering before our very eyes. And the church, the capital C church, the big, every church church, is growing across the world, but it's shrinking in the United States. And we all have family who we wish saw the value of Jesus in their lives the same way we value Jesus in our lives. We all have this opportunity to be like the early church of Acts, to do it one way, others do it another way, we wrestle with the tension, we listen for God together, we move forward together with assurance that no matter how things have changed, God is still in charge. God is still at work, and God is still in love with humankind, and God be with you. As a church, we took the primary leadership component assessment, and we have over 110 people who have taken that so far. Thank you so much for that. The primary leadership component assessment is about looking at the ways that we lead as a church. It's one of our major assignments for MCCI, the Missional Church Consultation Initiative, the program that we're using to help our church launch into the next life cycle. It's giving us data on our church for how we might be in three different roles as people. Some of us may be spiritual shepherds, some of us are system task organizers, and some of us are vision criers. This month, we listen to member conflux moment stories, and today we're going to put those results together to paint a fuller picture. The sample size is about 110. We worship between both services around 125, memberships around 300. So this is pretty good data. You can still take it, by the way. I would love for everybody to take it, honestly. Uh, some churches in our cohort, they're just doing it with their staff or their leader teams. We're going the extra mile, friends. I want a good picture of our church. So these three different roles, here's the percentage breakdown for our church. Spiritual shepherds, they bring the heart. They're the soul tenders. You're the ones who ask, why is this God's purpose for us? Spiritual shepherds, our church, 34%. System task organizers, you bring the grit. You build the track for the train. You ask, how will we get there? System task organizers, 41%. Vision criers, you bring the zest. You tap untapped potential. You ask, where are we going? Vision criers, 25%. Spiritual shepherds, 34. System, 41. And vision, 25. Does that surprise anybody? Does that feel fairly accurate? I'm seeing nods. I'm seeing smiles. Over the last six months, I totally get this. We have so many systems around here, and that's a good thing, because systems gets things done. That's good. Care and vision, we do have that, yes. Uh, but we currently, and perhaps for a while, have led with a system task organizer overall mentality as a church. 
What are our responses to the questions about ourselves that was on this assessment? Here are some of the top statements on that assessment that most of us agreed with. Over 75 of us said, people often tell me I'm kind-hearted. Do you think that's a shepherd, a systems, or a vision person? Shepherd, yeah, that's a shepherd statement. That's our top statement, by the way. The kind church is a pretty good uh, uh, reputation to have. This one, about 70 people said, I like to get things done on time and work hard to stay on task and on schedule. Shepherd, system, or vision? Yeah, system. There's a time and a place for chit-chat and sharing and a time and place to get the work done. System. Yes, that's about 60 of us. So let's extrapolate this data. This is an unscientific poll. It was created for MCCI, and, and it's not everybody yet, but the picture it paints may be true. Which primary leadership component is most important? None. Which needs to take the lead? All in different ways and at different times. Which one gets the head seat at the table? Ah, then we get Jesus' parable. We don't just work with our type of person alone, nor do we assume the place of honor because our hearts are so good. We work together. We listen for God to invite us and our role to the front when it's our turn to take the lead. We likely lead with the system task organizer starting point, which gets things done. And amen for all of the great work that our church gets done. And at the church conference, we're going to have some slides that we're going to basically do the numbers. You can see all the good that this church gets done in the name of Jesus. And I also wonder if we're ever challenged for new vision to emerge can we do that without it coming off as disrespectful to the way that we've been doing it so well for so long? That's being human, of course. But here's a pin-drop quiet truth bomb. If we are that heavy on system task organizing, it may be hard to get us to go all in on any new direction we need. The Acts Church disagreed. They heard vision, and then they got unanimous. Can we do that about where to go next? Sue Nelson Kibbe, she's the one who designed MCCI, and she's been working with the clergy in a cohort. We meet once a month to go over homework assignments and talk about our churches, and she's the one who led our breakthrough prayer workshop. When she was telling us about this assessment, she said, you're going to have a mix of all three in your church. When it comes to these three, if your church is not doing anything new, your vision criers leave first. If you're not doing anything new, the vision criers leave first. And I won't ever forget that. Of all the groups that had talkbacks over the last three weeks, we invited people to come after or between worship services and, and talk about uh, their role in the church and what we can do to, to maximize that. Vision crier was the only one I emailed ahead of time to say, hey, there aren't many of you, please show up. I think it's around 10 or so. Friends, hear me clearly. This is a good church with good people, and I'm proud to be your pastor, and we do powerful ministry. We do it together side by side as spiritual shepherds, as system task organizers, as vision criers, and God be with you.
And if we need God's 2020 vision for the future, I'm not surprised it's hard to see God's vision for any of us when the United Methodist Church is doing cartwheels. I'm not surprised it's hard to see when the church overall is in decline across the United States. I'm not surprised it's hard to see God's vision when this church isn't the size and scope that it used to be back in its heyday of the 1950s, along with many, many other churches, by the way. I'm not surprised when this church has had five pastors in five years. That's exhausting. I know. I was just at a church where we had four senior pastors in two years. That's no picnic. So what now, Gen 7? Generation 7 of Richfield United Methodist Church. Sociologists say that a generation's every 25 years. So here we are in the middle of Generation 7 of this church. Gen 7, we want a Gen 8. Amen? We want a Gen 9. Amen? Where are we going? How will we get there? Why is this God's call for us? I have three calls to action for you today. Ushers, I told you the wrong order. You're actually up now. Sorry. Today we begin a new initiative called our Breakthrough Prayer. I'm inviting our usher team to come forward and to give everyone at least one Breakthrough Prayer card. And if we could get one for the choir up here, that'd be excellent. Breakthrough Prayer is one of our church's most important MCCI assignments, period. Every church that has ever did MCCI has done a breakthrough prayer initiative to really kick things off. Breakthrough prayer is asking God to do something new that we cannot do ourselves. It's daily prayer crafted by a team who went to a breakthrough prayer workshop led by MCCI creator Sue Nelson Kibbe. I'm going to read the directions. On one side, it's green. It has the directions here. It says, This church practices breakthrough prayer. Breakthrough prayer is asking God to do new works, new miracles we cannot do ourselves without limits. Pray these five lines at 835 every day. Your church family prays with you. It's a play on our address, 5835 Lindale Avenue South. Now, people have asked, Is that 835 a.m. or 835 p.m.? Yes. You can pray in the morning, you can pray in the evening, you can pray at both. Just be glad we're not at 331 Maple Street. <laughs> Friends, let's flip it over. Let's pray this breakthrough prayer together. Loving God of all, renew our hearts and minds. Reveal your wildest dreams. Break through to each of us. Unite us in your vision. Equip us for your work. Transform us by your song create our harmony. May we embrace your future and be your loving church. Amen. Members, you are expected to pray every day for your church. Now to some of you, being told by the pastor from the pulpit that you're expected to do something for your church, that can come off as off-putting, and I understand that. To others, being expected to do something in your church is the breath of fresh air you have been waiting for to go out and fulfill your membership vows. But friends, breakthrough prayer, 
This is an all-hands-on-deck ministry. Wherever you are in this one, one simple fact remains. Amazing things happen with prayer, and we cannot afford to dismiss that. Please do not leave the praying up to someone else. It's up to you. It's up to you. It's up to you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, it's up to you. It's up to you. Second call to action is this. I'm going to invite you to light a conflux moment candle. Every Sunday, between now and Easter Sunday, we're going to have racks of candles in our worship spaces. Right here. And as you enter the worship space, if you've had a conflux moment this week, if you've had a God moment this week, you felt God, you've had a faith moment, a conflux moment, as you come into the worship space, I would love for you to come up and light a candle. We'll do our best to have one lit so that you can use one of these uh, sticks to light the stick and then light the candle, put it back in the sand for safety. By the way, yes, Jerry Burmeister made that stand (laughs) in a day. Jerry, I need a boat in the water by May. So. So come in and light a candle before worship. Light a candle during worship. If you are so moved by the lyrics or a prayer or whatever we're doing, if you're moved, you're feeling God, you come up and light that candle. I won't stop you. And when you do, whether it's during the service or before, know that your church supports you. We're so grateful that you've had a God moment in your life. At the benediction, we're going to pray over all those lit candles and ask God to break through with even more conflux moments for our church and for our neighborhood. And that's every Sunday between now and Easter. If you light a candle, you do not have to share your story unless you want to. But if you have a story of you and God, light the candle. I lit my candle, and friends, in about 20 seconds, I'm going to ask somebody else to come and light a candle. Anybody who's had a God moment this week. So I'm going to give you a 20-minute runway to get those feet moving. I want at least one person to light that candle. Here's why I lit that candle, friends. On Tuesday night, your ad council got ready for our budget report to present a... a, um, (laughs) Balance. Balance budget. That's not a word to forget, Pastor Nate. (laughs) That's a pretty important one. Oh my gosh. A balanced budget. And then we went off into the fellowship hall and we prayed in fellowship hall, sometimes known as Harmony Hall. Uh, We prayed over the chairs. We prayed over the tables. We prayed the space. We prayed for you as we go off to do that good work to celebrate the year we've had and to look ahead at the year we have coming up. And I felt God in that as I watched your elected leaders pray this space. And so I lit that conflux moment candle. Who will light a candle right now? Who felt God this week? Will you come up and light a candle? Let's offer these three uh, amazing people the same refrain we've been offering all throughout the sermon, and God be with you, and God be with you. Captain Meriwether Lewis and Second Lieutenant William Clark. Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark had a mandate from President Jefferson, explore and chart the route west to expand our nation and its new horizons and its new trade routes, by the way. So they set out in their canoes, and they did fine for most of the journey as they headed out west, and then they hit the mountains. Now, they had heard there were going to be mountains, 
But they thought, well, there will be some streams we can still canoe through these mountains. When they pictured mountains, they pictured the Appalachian Mountains. But these are the Rocky Mountains. It's a little different. So there they are, upset, uncertain, systems disrupted. They needed a new way. Here's the pin drop silent truth bomb. You cannot canoe the mountains. What got you to where you're going may not get you to where you're going next. 2020 is our year of identity, friends. We're going to look at everything that got us to where we are and decide, is this what will get us to where we're going, where God is going? Will we do so at the threshold of God, knowing that we cannot do it alone, and God be with you? We will do our best with outreach and social justice, with neighborhood events and pastoral care, with intentional reflection on how it fulfills our mission, and God be with you. We will reflect on our building use and set to maximize it. Examine our hospitality efforts and create best practices. Ponder both of our worship services that see guests nearly every week and work hard to get a handle on how to turn first-time guests into repeat guests, into members of God's church, and God be with you. We'll open up our hearts to the work that has to be done And we won't leave it to the next generation because we're still building the next generation. And when the next generation comes, we won't isolate them. We will partner up with them and God be with you. We will enter a time of financial stability as a church as we seek new revenue streams, as we look at a balanced budget for 2020, and as we rejoice that with, get this, with the estimate of giving cards that you turned in, We are entering 2020 with your estimates of giving up 6% from 2019. Amen. That's a huge deal, friends. That's a vote of confidence in the future. Like the early church of Acts, we are at a crucial moment, a crossroads moment, a conflux moment where we get to feel the Spirit leading us to what's next. What is it exactly? I don't know. It would be really nice, God, if you would just, like, leave a note and we could just read the note and do that. That would be a whole lot easier. Instead, we've got to listen for God, discern the divine, and own our direction. We'll go through lots of deep dives and good talks and maybe even a little debate here and there. But even the debate in Acts moves that church forward with new vision and new people. As we do this vital work, let us train ourselves to remain always open to surprise, always excited to the new wilderness frontiers, because that's where God is. We might hit the mountains. God will be there. If we can adapt and adventure, we can thrive and God will be there. We must let go, learn as we go, and keep going no matter what. Gen 8 is counting on it. And Gen 8 can count on God and can count on us. And God be with you. This has been a sermon podcast from Richfield United Methodist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Copyright 2020. Now go into God's world knowing you are a beloved child and bear witness to the love of God so that those to whom love is a stranger will find in you a generous friend. Thanks for listening.